Well, my name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at Rocky Peak, and just so glad to be here with you. Um, hope that we get to meet each other soon. If, we, if, you're, if you're brand new or you haven't had a chance to, to meet. Um, before we go into our time of teaching, just one thing real quickly. Um, you know, we've been mentioning the last couple of weeks that we're about to come back to our campus, not only for outdoor services, but also for indoor services. So first weekend back is the, uh, the first weekend in March. And so we've been talking about that a couple of weeks. I'm not going to go into all the details, but we're excited that we're going to be coming back uh, strong with all of our ministries, uh, kids, students, adults for uh, weekend worship services. So if you haven't been with us the last week or two, somehow you missed that, just encourage you to go on our website uh, and and you'll have all the information there, or even on our app, all the information there in terms of when we're meeting uh, inside, when we're meeting outside, and of course, we'll continue to meet uh, online at our regular times as we move into the future, but we're very excited. We're, getting, we're working hard to get ready for that, and looking forward to getting so many of you back in just uh, two or three weeks. So uh, with that, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So if, uh, if you join me in prayer, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that uh, you are here in this place. Whether this place is where I am right now in this auditorium, or whether this place is where they are, whether it's a, a bedroom, it's a park bench, they're listening on a boat, they're in their living room with friends, that wherever we are, Lord, that we're together connected by your spirit. And so, Lord, we thank you that as we continue this journey today, you'll be our teacher. We pray that you would lead us and guide us every step of the way. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, our story starts today at the end of the day. And frankly, he's bush. He is just tired. He's been hiking hard the last, 20, uh, the last two days. He's covered about 50 miles. He's been moving hard and fast. And of course, that's what you need to do when you're on the run and someone's out to take your life. But he's pretty sure he's far enough away now that he can begin to rest. And so at the end of this day, the sun's going down and he's beginning to look for a great place by the side of the road where he can uh, stop for the night, camp for the night, and get some, well, uh, much needed sleep. And so the good thing about traveling on your own, especially when you're walking, is that you have plenty of time to think. And over the last two days, as he's been the first 50 miles of a 600-mile journey, he's had a lot of time to think, to look back over his past, to reflect on where he's been, the decisions that have led him to this day, and especially the recent decision he's made that have, that's forced him to flee his homeland. And as he's been thinking, one of the things he's been thinking about a lot is his future. He's a man that has carefully uh, kind of programmed, planned for his future in the past. But he never saw himself coming to where he is right now. And so as he's embarking on this long journey to a distant land, he has so many questions. Will he be successful on this journey? Will he achieve the goal for which he has set out? Will he ever come back and make it home alive? There's so many questions and as he lies down to go to sleep, little does he know that on this night, he's going to experience such a powerful dream that's going to change the direction of his entire life. 
Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for about the last month. It's called Signs, A Path to Life. And for those of you who are new, I want to welcome you. But on top of that, uh, just quickly, th- th- what we're doing in this series is we're, we're taking an up-close-and-personal, in-depth look at the life of Jesus. As seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers, friends, confidants, a man we call the Apostle John. And what John is doing in turn in this gospel is inviting us to join him on a journey as he lays out the life, the teaching, the experiences of Jesus, and he especially highlights seven of these miraculous signs uh, that Jesus performs that reveal who he is, why he's come, and the path to life for each of us. Now, if you've been with us throughout this series, you know, John starts off in the opening chapter with a long introduction, the first 18 verses. He makes some amazing claims about who Jesus is and why he's come. And then starting last week, he's starting to call some witnesses to take the stand, almost like a courtroom scene, to share, in their opinion, who Jesus is and why they believe this. Now, if you were here last week, the first witness he called to the stand was this famous prophet that God had raised up in Israel to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. His name was John the Baptist. But today, John is going to bring three more men to the witness stand. And each of these three are one of the first disciples of Jesus. And the way that John is going to call them to the stand, so to speak, is by sharing their story of their first encounters with Jesus the very first week that they met him. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up, turn on to John chapter 1. There in your note sheet, there's a section that's called Signs the First Week. And we're going to pick it up at verse 35. And so the next day, and so if you've been here the last couple weeks, this is now like day three of this first week that his first disciples meet Jesus. And so the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, he was there with two of his disciples. Now, this is interesting. Uh, If you were here last week, You remember that John the Baptist made three claims on the witness stand, so to speak, about who Jesus is and why he's come. He said, first of all, that that Jesus was greater than he was. That although Jesus came after him, and though John was an inspired prophet, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was greater than he was because he was before him. Secondly, he said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. And finally, he said that Jesus is the one who will baptize his followers in the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a sign that the kingdom of God has actually come. And so now it's the next day, and John the Baptist is standing there, and notice he has these two disciples. First of all, notice this, this term disciple, that, that the, the concept of a disciple was very common in ancient Israel. Uh, John the Baptist has his disciples. The, uh, the group called the Herodians, we'll see, they have their disciples. Uh, uh, Jesus will have his disciples. And so John has these two disciples. Now, as we'll learn in the coming verses, one of these disciples, his name is Andrew. And Andrew will become one of the 12 disciples, kind of the inner core of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples. What's interesting is the other disciple is not named. And this is the first time we've seen this in this gospel where there's this mysterious unnamed disciple. And as I share with you in week one of this series, 
that we have reason to believe that this was none other than the Apostle John himself, the author of this gospel, who for his own reasons is kind of taking a low profile. And so these it's the next day, the day before, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist has said, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And so these two disciples, Andrew and probably John, that's the very next day, they're standing there with John the Baptist, and all of a sudden he sees Jesus at a distance, and once again, he identifies him. There he is, the Lamb of God. And so when this happens, these two disciples, Andrew and John, are going to leave John the Baptist and follow Jesus. Now, I want you to picture this. These two disciples, Andrew and, let's, I'm just going to call him John for the sake of this message. Andrew and John, let's, let's think of all the steps they've taken on their spiritual journey so far. We're going to, as we'll see, they're from the north of the country, from the Galilee. They've already made the decision to put their careers on hold, to travel south, to hear this man who claims to be a prophet named John. And after listening to him, they become convinced that he is a prophet sent by God. They've been baptized by John, I'm sure, I'm assuming that, I'm sure they have been. They've become followers of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has said that the one who comes after me, that's why I've come. And now we're in the very next day, and John the Baptist says, there he is, the Lamb of God. And so their response is, all right, then we need to go and check this out. And so, and so when, uh, verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked them, I love this, what do you guys want? And uh, I'm sure there are so much that's going through their mind. So many things that they would love to say. I mean, can you imagine? Well, what do we want? Well, we've left our homes. We've left our, put our careers on hold. We've traveled down here. We've become followers of John the Baptist. We've been baptized. We've been following him. He keeps saying it's about the one who comes next. And he has said, it's you. What do we want? We want to get to know you. But of course, they can't, they can't get all that out. They're too nervous. And so they just said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? In other words, we would just love to hang out. And so he said, well, come and you will see. And so they went and they saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him because it was about four in the afternoon. So this whole scene, when John points out Jesus and they go to say, hey, where are you staying? It happens about four. And so they're going to go home with Jesus wherever he's staying there. We're not sure where he's at. They're going to, I'm sure, have dinner together and a long conversation. And what would you pay to be a part of, to be like a fly on the wall and hear that conversation? And that the first time that Andrew and John spent hours with Jesus, what did they talk about? What do they ask him? What do they learn? I mean, it's just amazing conversation. 
But what we do know is whatever they talked about, that these two disciples who have been disciples of John the Baptist are very deeply impressed. They are convinced after spending an evening with Jesus that John was right. They had taken this next step in their life. They left John, they've gone after Jesus, and it's, it's proved itself out. And we can tell how powerful an evening it was because uh, one of the two, this Andrew, remember, it says in verse 40 that Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two. Notice it doesn't say who the other one was. He was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did, so most likely the next day, it could be that night, maybe Peter had come down, Simon Peter had come, maybe he was following John the Baptist too. We don't know for sure. But the first thing that Andrew does is he goes to find his brother and he's so excited. And he says, the first thing Andrew did, verse 41, was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And then John translates that for his Greek audience, that is the Christ. And you may remember this, but Christ is the Greek word, Christos, is the Greek word for the Hebrew of Messiah. So he says, we, we found the Messiah. So remember what John is doing in this section. He's not only telling us the story of his first week in these first encounters, that by telling us the story, he's putting each of these men in succession on the witness stand to give witness. So John the Baptist has told us who Jesus is, but now Andrew takes the witness stand and he tells his brother, we have found the Messiah. Now, catch how big that is. Israel's been waiting for the Messiah for a thousand years. This is a huge claim. And so he brought him to Jesus. He says, you've got to meet him for yourself. And so he brings him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. And remember, they've never met. He looks at him and he knows him. And he says, you are Simon, son of John. And he said, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So Cephas is Aramaic, translated as Peter. They both mean the rock, a rock. And so catch this, uh, Andrew brings his brother and before he can even introduce him, Jesus says, hey, I know you. In fact, I know your father, John. And I know that you've been called Simon your whole life. But by the time you're through, you're gonna be called Peter. You're gonna be called the rock. All right, so this is our first encounter. Now, the next day, so this is like uh, uh, after, you know, the, the very next day, uh, Jesus decides to leave for Galilee. So uh, he's been hanging out in the area of John the Baptist. After he comes back from his temptation in the wilderness, he's spent uh, several, some significant time around John the Baptist, more in the south of the country. But he says, I'm heading north, back to where they're all from, from the Galilee. And so this is the next step. And for uh, Peter, for Andrew, for John, uh, this is the next step in their journey with Jesus. They're gonna have to decide, do we stay with John the Baptist or we go with Jesus? And they're gonna make the decision to go with Jesus. But before Jesus takes off, uh, there is someone else he wants to recruit. Now, this is so interesting because if you study the different stories of how different people come to Jesus, they're very different pathways. For, for some of us that we came to Jesus, we were searching for God. We were searching at all these wrong places. And, but finally, our search led us to Jesus. And so we had a sense of us seeking after him. 
There's others of us that we were not seeking after Jesus at all. It's like he just came after us. We, we weren't even the least interested. And he just through a series of events, he came after us. Well, in the same way here, John and Andrew and Peter, they all seek after Jesus, but Jesus is gonna seek after Philip. And so he says, uh, he finds Philip and he says to him, follow me. And so Philip, catch this, like Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. Now this is a small fishing village on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. But what I want you to catch, how interesting that is, we're gonna see that so many of these first followers of Jesus, so many of the 12 disciples had actually grown up together, knew each other, were business partners. It's like God had been working their whole lives to prepare them for this calling. And so Philip, though, he wants to, kind of like Andrew went after Peter, Philip wants to find his good friend Nathaniel. And when he does in verse 45, he says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote in the Old Testament, Jesus of Nazareth, he's the son of Joseph. Now this is interesting. Like Andrew going after Peter, Philip is gonna go after Nathaniel. And, and remember we just had Andrew on the witness stand, now we're gonna put Philip on the witness stand. And he's going to come and he's gonna give his testimony about who Jesus is. And he says, then the, he says, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets have spoken of, pro prophesied would come, which is just another way of saying we found the Messiah. Now, Nathaniel is a little blown away by this because Nazareth is like a no-name town. Uh, in fact, we don't even have any records of the town of Nazareth in secular uh, extra-biblical documents. Uh, archaeologists will tell us that Nazareth was only, it was so small, it was only like 200 to 500 people. And so this is going to be a real obstacle for Nathaniel. He's like, how, how could the Messiah come from Nazareth, right? It'd be like us saying, hey, I think the next president, I met the next president of the United States. Where's he from? Uh, he's from Gorman, you know, up on the grapevine. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, presidents don't come from Gorman, right? He grew up there by the McDonald's and the 76 station, right? So, so, so uh, Nathaniel is going to be very skeptical, but Philip is going to do exactly the right thing. And this is what we often need to do when we share our experience with Jesus with others, is we don't always have to try to argue them into the kingdom. Sometimes we just need to say, well, why don't you just come and see? Just, just check it out. Just, hey, come to church with me. Just check it out. Watch this uh, online with me. Check out this link. See what you think. And so Philip says, come and see, verse 46. But when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, now once again, Jesus is going to know him before he arrives. And he says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, this is really interesting. Just kind of a, make a mental note of that. In just a minute, we're going to talk about Jacob. You remember who Jacob was? We have Abraham, father of Isaac, father of Jacob. They're called the patriarchs of Israel. Jacob's name, late in his life, was turned to Israel. He has to 12 sons to become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what's interesting is that Jacob, his name means deceiver. And so what Jesus is saying is, here's an Israelite in whom there's no Jacob. And uh, that'll become very significant in just a minute. 
So Nathaniel is, again, very skeptical. How do you know me? Like, I, how, how can you say that about me, that I'm a man of character, that I'm an honest man, that I have no deceit in me? We've never even met. And Jesus said, well, I actually saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And so we don't know what, what uh, Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree but when Philip came up to, to find Nathanael, he was under a fig tree. There's no way Jesus could have known that. And this is enough for Nathanael. Catch this. I'm sure that Philip has shared with him everything John the Baptist has said. I'm sure he shared with him that, about the night that Andrew and uh, John, John the Apostle have had. I'm sure he's, he's told him about the experience that Peter had, how he knew him without meeting. And for Nathanael, this final piece of evidence is all he needs and, and this is the third witness now that John the Apostle is going to put on the witness stand. And notice what Nathaniel says, verse 49. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, at the time, both those terms would have been synonymous. The son of God probably didn't mean to Nathaniel what it means to us today, the very God of very God. But in Nathaniel's time, what it meant was, it was another name for Messiah. And so he says, you are the son of God, the, the king, the great king, the, the, the Messiah. And so we've had these three witnesses that Jesus really is the Messiah. And so Jesus says, wait a second, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Are you kidding me? That's all it takes? He said, trust me, you're going to see a lot more things than that. And then he said, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, remember, this, remember we just talked about Jacob. You're an Israelite in whom there's no Jacob. It's really interesting. This takes us back, this, this, uh, this, this uh, comment about angels of, of God ascending and descending on, this, uh, on the Son of Man. It takes us back to the story we started the day with. You know, we started the day with a story about this young man who's running for his life. Recently, he's made some decisions that have caused him to flee from his homeland. He's 50 miles into a 600-mile journey. Um, he's thinking a lot about his past, the decisions he's made, wondering what the future is going to hold. This is a story that comes to us from Genesis chapter 28. It's a story from Jacob's life. Jacob, when he was young, um, remember his name was Deceiver, and Jacob, when he was young, had uh, ripped off the birthright from his older twin brother, Esau. Uh, and he'd done it by deceiving his father, Isaac. And uh, he, he'd ripped off uh, the bless not only the birthright, but the, also the blessing of his father, Isaac. And uh, Esau was so angry, he was planning to kill him, but only he's going to wait till his father, who is very old, would die, and then he was going to take him out. So he's, uh, Jacob knows this, and so he decides to, to flee, to run for his life. And um, he takes off on a 600-mile journey to a place called Haran, more in the Middle East, uh, to, to, the, to the north and to the east of Israel, uh, where he's going to go back to his distant relatives in search of a bride. And uh, so he's 50 miles into this 600-mile journey, and he stops uh, for the night, and I'm sure he's tired. I'm sure he's reflecting on why he's running, what, wondering what his future is going to hold, whether he'll ever return. 
And we're told that that night when he, he, he lays down to go to sleep, I'm sure he's exhausted, that he falls into a deep sleep and God gives him a prophetic dream. And in this dream, uh, Jacob sees this stairway to heaven. It's where the famous song got its title. He has this, he this uh, stairway to heaven and on this stairway, uh, up and down uh, are coming angels of God walking up and down. It's like, it's like a, a gateway to heaven, so to speak. And, uh, and so God speaks to Jacob in this dream and he reaffirms the promises that he'd made to Abraham and to Isaac. He said, I'm going to bless you in spite of his poor character. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land you're lying your head on. I know you're running away from this country, but he says, one day I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to give you this land, and through you, all the nations of the world will one day be blessed. And when Jacob uh, wakes up, he is just overwhelmed with a sense of awe and like the fear of God. Like this is a holy place. He says, I, I didn't know it, that God was in this place. This is no, none other than the, the house of God. This is none other than the gateway to the heavens. And in Hebrew, the way you say the house of God is it's Bethel, Bethel, uh, Bethel. And so he, he names it there and he puts up this pillar and he anoints it with oil as his place of the house of God. And so Jesus, as he's talking to Nathanael, this Israelite in whom there is no Jacob, he says to him, you, you believe just because I told you I, I, I saw you while you were in the fig tree, you haven't seen anything yet. You're gonna see the angels of God going up and going down, but not on the stairway to heaven, but on the Son of Man on himself. And so in a very similar way that in chapter one in the intro, John said that Jesus tabernacled among us. He was the true tabernacle. He's the ultimate tabernacle where God's uh, glory was revealed back in John 1.14. Here we're learning that Jesus is the ultimate house of God. He's the ultimate gateway to heaven. Or as Jesus will say later in John 14, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. He is the place where God comes, the house of God. And with this, John wraps up chapter, what we call chapter one. He's had John the Baptist take the witness stand. He's had these three disciples take the witness stand, what led them to believe that he was the Messiah. Um, and next week, we will continue on as now they will begin to travel north and Jesus will perform the first of seven major miraculous signs that John will document and highlight of the, the many signs he did. He's gonna highlight seven for us that, that kind of help us understand who Jesus is and why he's come, and for us, lead us the path of life. But for today, I want to stop here. I want to talk about this first week and the life of these first disciples, their initial encounters with Jesus, and some lessons we can learn from that. And so what I want to do today, I just want to highlight one big picture principle, and then come back and ask one important question. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Signs, The Next Step. And here's the big picture principle that I want to highlight today. It goes like this, that following Jesus is a journey. Following Jesus is a journey.
So let's talk about this. One of the reasons I love this first chapter of John and this description of this first week of his disciples' life um, is because it helps us to understand how our journey with Jesus starts and how it continues. Um, this passage helps fill in some missing details from the synoptic gospels, what we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're, they're very similar when we call them the synoptic gospels. So let me explain what I mean. If you were to read only the accounts of the disciples, how they first met Jesus, how they became followers of Jesus, and the synoptic gospels, it might give you a very different impression of how their relationship started and how it grew. Like, let me give you an example. There in your note sheet, let's start with Mark's gospel. Now, Mark's gospel, most scholars believe, was the first of the gospels, and that both Matthew and Luke used it as sort of a framework to, to build on for their gospels. So in Mark chapter one, at the very beginning, Mark describes how these first disciples met Jesus. This is the first time we meet them in the Gospel of Mark. He says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee up in the north, he saw Simon. Now, we just met Simon, right? We know him as Peter. Uh, remember, Andrew went and got him. So he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Remember, Andrew was one of the two disciples. It was with John the Baptist. Uh, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So Jesus comes along. They're offshore. Maybe they're 50 yards offshore. Uh, but his voice is going to travel over the water. And Jesus uh, calls out to him. And he says, hey, come and follow me. Stop what you're doing. Come and follow me. And uh, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And uh, all at once, they leave their nets. They, they row into shore. They drop their nets, and they begin to follow him. And then he tells us how the next two disciples started their relationship with Jesus. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee. We've not met him yet. But his brother John, that we believe, is one of the two disciples. He and Andrew met Jesus that first day at 4 o'clock, had dinner with him, that whole thing. And he said that they were in a boat, but they're preparing their nets. So they weren't fishing. They were just kind of preparing their nets to fish. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat right then, right there, with the hired men and followed him. Now, if that is the only information we had about these first disciples, how they met Jesus and followed him, it, it creates an impression that this is the first time that they've met, as if Jesus is walking along the shore. He's this charismatic, uh, kind of new religious leader, and there's something about him that the minute he calls, they drop everything, almost like under a spell, like this magnetic force is just kind of drawing them like a tractor beam to follow Jesus. But what I want you to catch today is that from this opening chapter of John, we're learning the rest of the story. That for at least three of these four first disciples, that this step to drop their nets, leave their careers, say goodbye to their dad, and to travel with Jesus, this was not the first step on their journey. That they had actually, their first step on their journey was to travel south to, to check out this new prophet called John the Baptist. And at some point, they took the next step in their journey. The next step was that they believed John really was a prophet of God. And that what he was saying, that the kingdom of God was coming, was very near, was true. And therefore, they needed to repent, and they needed to be baptized. And they took that step. I think we can assume that as disciples of John. 
right? And then comes the day when they hear John say, there he is, and make these incredible claims about the one who had come after him. And so on that day, they took the next step, and they followed Jesus and said, where are you staying? And then after spending a night with Jesus, they were convinced that John the Baptist was right. But the next day, Jesus says, I'm going to leave here and travel north. And they've got another decision to make. Will I stick with John the Baptist or will I go with Jesus? And they take the next step and go with Jesus. And this is just the beginning. Because they go north with Jesus, they're going to see some amazing signs that Jesus is going to perform. Their decision to follow him is going to be confirmed time and time again. And so by the time we get to the synoptic gospels and this passage in Mark 1, all of that has transpired. And now it makes so much more sense when Jesus says, now is time to follow me sort of full time, so to speak, to leave your careers, leave your families and travel with me. They were ready for that next step. And in fact, it might have been considered a high honor at that point to travel with Jesus and to be chosen. And what I want you to catch is I think this gives us great insight into how our relationship with Jesus starts and how it continues. It's always a series of next steps. It's much like our relationship with Jesus is much like a relationship with uh, any other close relationship with our life. Like, let me give you an example. Let's say that you're in a dating relationship or maybe you're married now and, and you can remember back when you were starting that relationship. In most relationships, there's many crossroads that you come to. There's that initial time where you accept the date or you, you make the request. That's a big step. And then there's the first date and there's a decision, is it, did that go well enough to, to take the next step and ask more dates? And then at some point along the line, there, there might become an exclusive relationship and you take that step and at some point you begin talking about engagement and then at a certain point you take that step and then, and then you get married and you take that step. There's a series of steps and everywhere, every step along the way, it's either a go, no go. It's either a yes, I will ask her, or no, I won't ask her. Yes, I will accept it, or no, I won't accept that invitation. Yes, I will make this exclusive. I would like every step along the way, and most relation, dating relationships go through some significant crossroads where a decision has to be made. Will I continue to take the next step and take this relationship to the next level, or will I bail on this relationship? It's not what I thought it would be. And our relationship with Jesus is much the same way. There's always a next step. There's an often along the way, we come to critical crossroads. And what's important is that when Jesus calls, we always take that next step, whether it's big or small. And as we do, our relationship deepens. We go to a new level and we're transformed in new ways. And that's why here at Rocky Peak, we talk so often about listen and follow. There's so many different things you could do, but the most important thing is you do what he's asking you to do, the next step. And if we just take the next step, we grow, we're changed, we're transformed, and he uses us to impact the world. So this leads to a question then, a very simple question for you. And the question is there on your note sheet. The section is called Signs, the Next Step. 
And the question is very simple. What is your next step? As you sit here today, you're watching the disciples and their story as we're learning who Jesus is, as John is putting these different witnesses on the stand. What is your next step? Like, let me give you some examples. Some of you today may be where John and Andrew were that first day at four o'clock, that you're really interested in Jesus. Someone has told you about Jesus. Someone has made high claims about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he could change your life. And there's something about the words they've said. There's something about the story they tell that's moving you. And, but you're not ready to give your life to Jesus. But then Jesus isn't asking for that. He's just asking for you to come and see. And you're on the right path and what you need to do is just continue to be honest and continue to ask your questions and continue to take that next step. You need to go to Jesus at four o'clock in your life and say, where are you staying? And just ask him to begin to reveal himself to you. That's your next step. For others of you, you've already taken that step. You're like John and Andrew after that first night. You know he is who he claims to be. And the next day, he says to them, it's time for us to go north to Galilee. And they have to decide. Now, are we going to stay with John the Baptist? We know it's comfortable. Or now that we know who Jesus is, will we travel with him? And so you're at a point in your life where you have enough information. You may not know everything about Jesus, but you know enough. And Jesus is calling you to give him your life and to follow him. And that's your next step. For others of us, we've long ago became followers of Jesus. And long ago, we left our nets and we left our boats and we said, we'll follow you. We're, we're gonna be your followers. But you know, when you're following Jesus, there's always a next step. The journey never ends. He's always taking us deeper. He's always revealing more. He's always calling us to a deeper death that leads to a deeper life. He's always transforming us in some new area of our life. There's always another step. And you say, well, what might those steps look like? Well, let's talk about these next steps in kind of using the framework of our vision statement here at Rocky Peak. You know, here at Rocky Peak, we have a vision. It's to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. And we define a passionate Christ follower as some kind of, someone who's doing four things. There's like four marks of a passionate Christ follower. First of all, they're pursuing God as their top priority in life. To know him, to love him, to please him, top priority. Secondly, to love others as he has loved us. To learn how to do relationships in a whole new way. Third, to serve sacrificially with our time, our gifts, our financial resources to help advance the kingdom. And finally, to share Christ. Just much like, like Andrew shared with Peter, like Philip shared with Nathaniel, to share the message of Jesus so that others can come to know him as their Messiah. And so let's, let's use that as a grid. And let's talk about what that might look like. So what, what might a, new, a next step look for you like? Well, first of all, remember, this is a step Jesus is asking you to take. It's not a step that you design on your own. It's a step that you respond to what he's calling. But what might he be calling you to do? Well, he may be calling you to pursue God. 
He, he may be calling you to lay down a new idol in your life that you didn't even know you had, to surrender to him at a new level so you, your relationship can go to a new level. He may be calling you to carve out time in your busy schedule on a daily basis to spend time with him, to read his word, to listen for his voice, to pray, to join him in the ministry of prayer. And Jesus is called, that's your next step on your journey. Maybe your next step on your journey is not pursuing, maybe it's with loving people. It's uh, learning to do relationships a whole new way. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit is stirring you that the way you approach your marriage is, is not from him. That as a husband, you need to be leading your wife and loving her as Christ loved the church. And you've not been that way. You've not been serving her sacrificially. Maybe as a wife, you've been trying to, to run the show and run your husband down. And you're realizing that you've become harsh and bitter. And, and you need to love and serve him and surrender, submit to his leadership in your life. And Jesus is calling you that. Maybe it's in the way you raise your kids. Maybe it's the way you deal with your coworkers. Right. Maybe it's uh, certain character issues in your life that are affecting your relationships. Maybe it's in the area of integrity. Maybe it's in the area of responsibility. Maybe it's your work ethic on the job. But there's something in the realm of, of loving others, doing relationships a whole new way. The Holy Spirit is calling you to take a next step. Maybe it's in the area of serving sacrificially. God's given you certain gifts and he's calling you to use those gifts to join this ministry, to serve at home, to serve your family in new ways. Maybe he's calling you to use your financial re resources to bankroll the kingdom, and you've always resisted that. For many people, this is where we stop following Jesus in the area of finances. It kept a rich young ruler from continuing his journey with Jesus. Maybe it's in the area of sharing Christ. Maybe God has been stirring your heart that you need to be more vocal about being a follower of Jesus, that there's some people in your life you, you need to reach out and invite them to come to a service or invite them to join you online or just to explore the spiritual journey with them and have a chance to share the message of Jesus. See, I don't know what it is. The thing is, the Holy Spirit is incredibly creative. And for each of our lives, he has a vision. And it's not your job to figure out what the next step is. Your job is just to listen and follow when he shows you what it is. But as we listen, as we follow, we grow. Our relationship with him grows. And we become a conduit of his love and grace to others. And so may this be a week that we are listening and asking God, what's the next step in my life? Is there a next step? Is there something I need to do to continue to deepen our relationship and when those times come, whether it's big or small, it's as we take them one by one that we grow, we're transformed, and we, our relationship with Jesus goes to a whole new level. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage of scripture that kind of pulls back the curtain and gives us, lets us see what it was like to be there the very first time these first disciples met you. And though it doesn't have all the detail we would, we would like, and yet it's just such a beautiful picture of them coming to you, learning who you are, surrendering their life, beginning to take the next step. And along the way, there'll be many more steps in their journey as we go through this gospel. We, we know that. But, but we're watching them grow. We're watching them change. We're watching them be transformed, become part of the kingdom as they listen and follow. May you give us the grace to do the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
And everyone said, amen.